Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Glad to be here with you. My name is Corey, one of the pastors on staff. Good to be your teaching pastor this morning. Before we dive in, let me show you a picture of two men. They're going to be coming to help us out here in the month of October. We have Mark Sigma coming, and then we have Pastor Mike Bird coming as well. And so we have our staff and elder retreat going on. We have a pastor and wife retreat some of us are going to in Cancun. And so, you know, real hard living for us in the month of October. But um, <clears throat> these are two men that are unbelievable communicators. Uh, as a, when it comes to great orators of the faith, uh, these men are great. So Mark Sigma, uh, up here on your left, is the pastor Matthias Lott. They meet on Wednesday nights. They have three services. Man, it's unbelievable. 700 plus college students go there, plus all the adults. The church has only continued to grow after, over the last 16 or so years. It's a great church to go to if you ever just want to get out, either on a date night or you're single or whatever, and you just want to get out of the house and, and go hang Wednesday night, St. Charles. Uh, Mark Sigma is going to street straight preach your face off of your face. Do you understand what I'm saying? This dude is one of the most, if not the most, passionate communicators I have literally heard in reality, okay? And so uh, he's unbelievable. Uh, the question he has to answer is, how much, sin, how much can the Christian engage in the culture before they're in sin? And he is going to blow your minds. I guarantee you that. Whatever is left of your face and mind, Pastor Mike Bird here is going to melt that off. And so uh, he's coming, uh, there's a week break, David's preaching, and then uh, Pastor Mike Bird is coming. Pastor Mike Bird was a church planner uh, out in Baden, o- over in North County, uh, an unbelievable man of God. The, the best part about him is his wife, Mama Bird, as I call her. She is an unbelievable uh, woman, and so we support uh, Pastor Mike Bird and his church financially as, uh, as they are a church plant, and so... Um, if you ever wonder what our funds go to, this is one of, one of the things that goes to is Pastor Mike Bird. And so they live in a culture, man, that's just different than our culture. They will never be financially sustained uh, as a church without external support, if that makes sense to you. They'll never be able to just give enough tithes and offerings to be financially sustained where they're at and the culture they're at. So we've given them a, a lifetime of uh, support financially. So we tell them we're going to give you uh, money until you either tell us to quit, which probably isn't going to happen, or until Jesus returns, which will happen. So at some point, we'll get to start giving uh, in that way. But these men are incredible. They're incredibly faithful. They're great communicators. Uh, They've been in our corner for a long time. And so they're coming to help out your pastoral staff, your teaching staff uh, in this way. So pray for them uh, and also prioritize uh, being here for them. And they're going to they're going to preach the paint off the walls, which is unfortunate because we just moved in here a year ago. So uh, all that to say, uh, excited to get to be with you uh, in preaching through uh, Corinth. And in, in regards to the great debaters of the time, we've been uh, looking at the letter to the church in Corinth, reading through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and 1 Corinthians was written, we believe, in response to a letter that the Apostle Paul had received from a church called uh, Corinth. And so we call this series Corinth Q&A. Last week, we looked at how should the church uh, respond to sexual immorality. And I said in that sermon, hey, we don't exalt sin over any other sin, but there's a reality where 
Paul has um, actually exalted sexual immorality as it pertains to sin uh, uh, in a couple of different ways. And so chapter 5 is about sexual immorality. Chapter 6 is about sexual immorality. If you think you're going to escape it by missing this week, uh, principles on marriage is coming. Chapter 7, and that question is like, does God really care about my sex life? And so turns out <laughs> uh, the Apostle Paul seemed like uh, we should probably dig into it a little bit more. So this is really part two uh, of last week. And so last week, just kind of for uh, sake of um, bringing you up to speed here, I talked about a lot, but one of the things I laid out for you was a framework for how do you view uh, sexual sin individually, because the way you view it individually will affect the way the church as a whole views it. And so if you took notes or if you were checking it out online, you might remember these four things I gave you. And I said, uh, everybody is asking two questions. Am I loved and can I have my own way? Am I loved and can I have my own way? If you took notes, then you, you have this written down. And I said, there's really only, there's a few ways you can answer that, right? Yes, I'm loved. Yes, I can have my own way. No, I'm not loved. No, I can't have my own way and on and on. And depending on how you answer that would produce in you either a passive view of sin, which just means you're going to overlook sin. You're not going to really care that much about it. Uh, you could perhaps have a militant approach to sin, which means then you're like, oh, you sin, you're out of the church, you got to get out of here, which then all of us, well, none of us would be in here then, would we? Uh, the neglectful church, which is really uh, an individual that's kind of just annoyed by sin. The neglectful church is annoyed by sin. And Lord willing, perhaps you could be the balanced church, which is what we're aiming at. And that is a, a church body that's hopefully raising up then individuals that take sin serious, but they're not surprised by it. They just expect, hey, there's going to be a little leaven in the lump if you were here uh, last week. Well, this week then, Paul further begins to elaborate on what he was saying. And so if you can recall with me, last week he said, hey, we're not going to judge those who are outside of the church. Okay, there's a, a lot of folks that come into the church, read a scripture like this, and they want to go down and they want to beat out every non-Christian that's struggling with sexual immorality like that's going to win them to the faith. This is not what Paul says. He actually just said, hey, we're not going to judge those that are outside of the church. Rather, we're going to actually judge and discern those inside of the church. Like we have a standard, we have a law, we have a sense of morality. There's a reality here where we've come under the authority of God's word and we're saying, hey, there are some expectations for us as to what it looks like to be holy. And so we're not going to get that perfect. No one's perfect but Christ, but hey, we're at least going to walk it out. And so we're going to judge and discern those in the church. This week, Paul's coming in and he's saying, not only are you not to judge those outside of the church, but also now you are not to go outside of the church to be judged. You're actually going to judge those. You do not know he's talking here with what's a big fancy word for you, a big eschatological worldview here. And he's saying, do you not understand the end times? Do you not understand the day of judgment that is coming where the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the judge above all judge is going to sit on his throne and you who are in Christ, you're going to get to sit beside him or stand beside him. And all those who have not turned to the Lord, they will be actually held under his judgment. And you're going to be there with them. You're going to get to judge them. And not only them, but the evil angels who have fallen as well. And so he's saying, do not go to those who are going to be held under judgment to receive your judgment. You guys tracking with that? Don't go to those who have already been judged to find your judgment. As a matter of fact, church family, the only reason you would ever go to anyone outside of the church as it, uh, as it um pertains to the matters of the church or God's word, the only reason you would ever go out of the church to allow a non-Christian to speak into the things of Christ is so that you can hear what you want to hear. 
The only reason you would ever engage in that conversation is so that you can be told what you want to be told. The only reason you would ever engage in that level of accountability is because you want no accountability at all. Why would you go to where there is no law to be, to be judged by the law? Why would you go to where there is no morality to be judged under morality? Why would you go to where there is no righteousness to be told whether or not you're righteous? This is what Paul is saying today. And so the big idea then is this. Your lack of self-governance reveals a lack of Christian maturity. Your lack of self-governance reveals a lack of Christian maturity. There comes a point in our lives, family, where we have to stop listening to the opinions of everyone else and we just have to show up and look in the mirror and say, today I need to respond to the gospel. I don't need an external motivator anymore. I don't need someone who's just kind of keeping me on a leash over here, calling, me, calling them an accountability partner. We're going to talk about this in a bit, but for some of you, <laughs> your greatest issue in life is not the word of God, it's your so-called accountability partner. And so your lack of self-governance, that's the reality of like, I just need to stand up, believe you know, believe the gospel is true for me for once and then respond to the gospel. Your good works do not save you, church, to be clear. But your good works are evidence of salvation. And you're called to respond today. There's three ways the Lord pushes us out through Paul here. Uh, the first is this. Go to the word, not the world. Go to the word, not the world, to find your judgment. The secondly is to speak truth in love. There's a difference between affirming someone and having compassion for them. A difference between affirmation and compassion. Speak truth in love. And the third one is be honest. Here at the end, I'm just going to ask you a question as we come into communion and ask you just to be honest with yourself this morning. As I like to say in texts like this, keep in mind, uh, Paul sets the tone for today, not me, okay? Go to the word, not the world. Point number one. Go to the word, not the world. If you're ready, say ready. Well, that was actually louder than I assumed you would be. So here we go. I'm going to read one through eight for you. Listen to Paul's plea here. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he get, dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Does he go to the world instead of the fellow Christian believers? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Talking about the fallen angels. How much more than matters pertaining to this life, right, should we, should we be the ones who judge? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? You got a buddy in the room Sometimes uh, he says, you either got to say amen or you got to say ouch. <laughs> That's that moment right there. You either got to say amen or ouch. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame, he says. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the bro brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and you defraud, even your own brothers. Oof. A fairly wordy way here for the Apostle Paul to say, 
Don't go to the world whenever you can go to the word. Eight verses to say one sentence essentially. Paul lays out here though, like do you not realize, right? It's the saints who are gonna stand in glory next to the king of kings. It's gonna lay down this judgment on both the unrighteous as well as those evil angels that fell with Satan. It is the, the, the Christians that are coming in that are gonna to get to be the ones who judge. So by what authority would you ever go to the world to receive judgment from those who are already going to be judged? Doesn't make any sense. Why would you go to those who have no law to be held under their law? Why would you go to those who have no morality whatsoever to be told whether or not you're acting in a way that's moral or immoral? He's saying it doesn't make any sense. It's actually to your defeat that you've done that. He said it is to your shame that I'm talking to you about this. Do you not believe what the Lord has done for you? And so what's interesting about this is that in the culture of Corinth during their time, they're court systems were severely jacked up. I mean, ours are kind of messy too because we live in a fallen world, but theirs especially was pretty messy. And so you had to have, to get into the court system there, you had to have money and you had to have power and you had to have prestige. And the only reason you would ever go into the court at all was so that you could have an unfair trial, not so that you could have a fair trial. And so for normal disputes that took place in their culture, they would kind of stand outside of the gates. If you kind of think about the, the city limits sign here for Collinsville, they would stand outside the city limits and some of the elders, some of the older wise folks in the community would come before them and they would kind of handle this debate together. But to actually get all the way past that, all the way into the court systems now, you only went into the court system so you can manipulate. You only went into the court system so that you could win. And it was never, never, rarely ever going to be or it was never going to be a fair trial, rarely going to be a fair trial. So the only reason that the Christian would have done that would have been to win. This is why Paul looks at them and says, hey, this is to your shame. Like you've already won. You've already been set free in righteousness. Why would you go to corruption to be told that you're holy? Why would you go to where there's only manipulation and act like they're gonna give you some truth? He's saying, what are you doing here? Do you under, the context help you understand today what's happening? Right, that's like going to your drug dealer and saying, hey, I was thinking about getting off coke today. What do you think? <laughs> nah, bro, I don't think it's today. All right, then go ahead and give me that. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't go to the world over the word unless you're wanting to be told something, right? Unless you're wanting to be affirmed in something. The reality is, man, you can find any camp in the world outside of these walls to affirm you. You just gotta go look for them. You can go anywhere outside of these walls. You can get into anything you want to get into and find some group of people that will affirm you in that and tell you how awesome you are for doing it. He's saying, do not go to the world whenever you can go to the word. He's saying, go to the word, sit under the word, allow the, the word of God to hold authority over you. If you're going to sit under any judgment, may it be God's judgment and his word. If you're going to go to any level of authority, maybe the authority of God's word, and you sit underneath that, and then you cling to this thing, man, and you preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. And when you finally can't handle it anymore for yourself, at that point, perhaps, you go talk to a brother or sister, by God's grace, that understands this book. And then you allow them to speak into your life. You don't go outside of the word into the world, right? God speaks through godly people and through his word and through his spirit. There's three ways he speaks, through his word, through his spirit, through his people. We have a saying around here. And if those things don't line up, what? He ain't saying it, is he? 
He's not saying it. Now, I do have in my notes here to give you a little pastoral clarity, okay? Because there are churches in our culture in regards to sexual immorality that will take this text here and they will use it and they will abuse it to hide sexual sin in their church. And so Paul, just to be clear, Paul is not coming in saying, hey, have nothing to do with the civil authorities. Have nothing to do with the court systems. As a matter of fact, if we were to read Romans 13 together, he says, actually submit yourself over to the civil authorities. Submit yourself over to the civil magistrate, to the governance. God has given you the government. God's given you authority to both judge you and also to be a means of grace to you. And so we can't come in and say, oh, I have nothing to do with anyone in the, the world out there to bring any sort of matters. The reality is up in this house, right, you come in and we hear something about sexual immorality that has led to abuse or some sort of emotional abuse or some level of neglect, we're going to handle that business, right? And sometimes that means taking it to the court. Sometimes it means just showing up on your doorstep. But one way or another, it's going to get taken care of. Amen? You're either going to say amen or ouch, don't you? So Paul is not saying, do not go in any, by any means whatsoever into the court system. I'm trying to stick to my notes here. Paul is speaking here. I'm going to read this verbatim. Paul is speaking here in the text of civil matters that are happening inside of the church as it um, has to do with or as it has to relate with the disagreements that are happening in the church. These are disagreements, church family, that me and you should be able to set across a cup of coffee and handle. And instead, the church is taking them into so they can win and manipulate and model their power. He says, do not go to the world to simply be told something so you can remain in sin. Instead, go to the word, man, and let it have judgment over you. Amen? Second thing he says is this, speak truth in love. Speak truth in love. There's a little bit to read here as well, 7 through 11 for you. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat to you. Defeat for you. Uh, Why not rather suffer wrong, he says. Why not rather be defrauded? What he's saying is we're far worse than that outside of Christ. But you yourselves, you wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is called speaking truth. Listen to me. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor the uh, the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to the grace here. This is the love part of speaking truth and love. Listen. And such were some of you. This might be six of the most powerful words in the whole entire Bible. And such were some of you. But you were washed Oh, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen and amen. Such were some of us, yes. And such were some of you. There is a difference, family, between affirmation and compassion. There's a difference between affirmation and compassion. You can have compassion on someone without affirming their sexually immoral acts. You can have compassion on someone. You can love someone. You can be merciful to someone. You can pursue someone. Paul has already said, hey, when it comes to the matters of sexual immorality, I'm, not, I'm telling you, one, don't, don't judge the world over there, but also you can't remove yourself from the world either. Last week is what he said. 
because there's a real mission that matters and there's people out here that are hurting. I mean, statistical research would blow our minds if we were to get in it today on the effects of all various forms of sexual immorality on anxiety and depression and suicide and isolation, loneliness, divorce rates, like all the things that happen because of sexual immorality. And so there's a reality then, church family, where we can come in, man, and we can model compassion and we can speak truth and love. And we can say, I'm looking at you, brother, literally, brother or sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, friend, coworker. And there's a way that there's a holy God that's called us to live. And he can meet all of your deepest expectations. And he can meet all of your deepest needs. And he can fulfill all of your greatest longings. There's a guy, his name is Jesus. But let me tell you what he's done in my life, right? And such were some of you, right? As such was, so was I. The only difference between the world and all of their depravity and us sitting in this room and all of our depravity is that Jesus Christ stands in the middle of us. That's it, right? And so what, what that means then is I can have compassion. Speaking truth and love is not coming in and just affirming everyone for all their sexual sin and telling them, oh, I'm just so proud of you. You're so bold. You're so courageous. You're so fill in the blank good job, well done, good and faithful in your ongoing sexual immorality. There's a way to model compassion without affirming someone. You tracking with that? Right? And you do it from a place of a posture of love and grace and mercy. Paul already said, you're arrogant. Oh, I want you not to mourn. Do you remember? Like there's a, whenever you come to these words here, like, and such were some of you, it should not embolden you with arrogance and pride, but rather it should Break your knees so you fall face down before the Lord and you go, that's who I was. I'm talking ugly cry, snot before the Lord. That's what you redeemed me from. And now with boldness, not with arrogance, but with boldness, you come in and you say, hey, you and I aren't so different, but there's a Jesus that has redeemed me. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how he met my deepest needs. He says then, right, these various sins that are mentioned here, sexual immorality, idolatry, adulterer, men, and you can insert women here, practice, women who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to stop affirming people in what God is going to bring judgment down for. Right, the culture has taught us if you disagree with someone, if you do not affirm someone, you're bigoted and prideful and arrogant. But the God says, no, 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 you're holy and you're sanctified and you're set apart and such were some of you. You know what that life leads you to. Go and share the gospel with these individuals. Right? This is a messy church here that Paul is addressing. A messy church that Paul here is Speak in truth and love. And so to be clear, to, con to, uh, to continue in willful, ongoing disobedience and to claim Christ is not Christ-like. I'm, I'm not talking about like a slip up. You can be redeemed of something and still slip up. That's called sanctification. Right? God's going to reel you in and hopefully lead you then continue in your journey to Christ. Likewise, then to affirm someone who is walking in habitual, continual disobedience is not loving and affirming. It's damning and heretical to the word of God. And so there has to be a medium in here where speaking truth in love allows us to, in fact, speak truth in love with compassion and with mercy and with the word of God in our hands, remembering, reminding ourselves, this is where I come from. 
We're not so different. The difference between me and you, the difference between me and you is that I have been washed and I have been sanctified and I have been justified in and through the inner working powers of Jesus Christ. There's a reality here then where Corinth, man, they, they just kept making excuses for their sin. And so Paul comes in and he's like, this is not the way to approach your being washed and your being sanctified and your being justified. And so in the next few verses then, 12 and 13, we believe then, commentators, theologians, believe that Paul has written this letter to answer another letter. We said that in the beginning. And it seems as if Corinth, we don't read too much into the scriptures, but it seems as if some of the things that Corinth was writing to Paul was in objection to something that they had been told. And so when they say things like, it's food, it's for the belly, it's my body, I can have sex with whoever I want to, uh, interesting things that our culture still says, yes, Paul still has a word for them about your body, your choice here. And so he says, all things are lawful for me. He's quoting what they're saying, we believe. But not all things are helpful, he says. All things are lawful for me, quote, but I will not be dominated by anything, quoting the Corinthians. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now he speaks, and God will destroy both, one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so Paul here, we believe then, is quoting this pushback he's getting from the Corinthians. And so if we had to guess, it, it looks like they're saying, hey, don't tell us what to eat. I mean, we've been set free from the law. We've been set free in Christ. We have the, the gospel. We've been made new. And Paul says, yeah, you can eat perhaps whatever you want, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily good for you. And don't tell us how to use our body, Paul. We've been set free in the gospel. We're no longer bound by sin. And Paul says, yeah, and that'll burn up too, bro. And so you need to watch how you conduct yourself as it pertains to the matters of holiness. And so he's still pushing back, still speaking truth and love. The Corinthians making excuses. Paul speaking truth and love. Can I just take a minute since I have the mic to speak some truth and love for you right now? You know, I got back from vacation like, what, three or four weeks ago, whatever it was. And I'll tell you what, I had, I got back Friday night from Saturday morning to Tuesday at six. I clocked 40 hours of conversations. If you want to know, what, is he, what does he do when he's not on stage? You just get paid to preach? I do. And I have 40 hours of conversations a week. Counseling conversations, pastoral conversations. And I was just, I was so overwhelmed by the effects of sexual sin in our own church body that when I got to my own missional community on Tuesday, I just sobbed on my wife's shoulder. I walked in, Alex, super sweet in my MC. She's like, what up, PC? Give me a hug. And I was like, the first one's for my wife, girl. <laughs> she said, it's one of those weeks. I said, it's one of those days. She's right there. I gave her a hug and just cried on my wife's shoulder in front of our MC. We're supposed to be having a pool party, eating pizza. Pastor shows up, ruins the whole thing. And I could hear them slowly getting quieter behind, you know. I was just so overwhelmed by the effects of sexual sin. I mean, statistically speaking, 83% of you struggle with sexual sin. So if we were going to take a militant approach, there'd only be about six people left in the room if we did that, right? So let me speak truth and love to you this morning. Just from a brother perspective, from a pastoral perspective, there comes a point where you need to stop making excuses for your sin. I'm not saying work really hard and earn your salvation. What I am saying is, there comes a point where your internal motivation to stop sinning has to, exceed, has to exceed the external motivations that are in your life. 
And, and what I mean by that is where this big idea comes from. Your lack of self-governance reveals a lack of Christian maturity. And so what I mean is if you continue to just make excuse after excuse after excuse, and simultaneously, if you continue to go to people to just tell you what you want to hear, your life, as it, um, your life is just not going to grow in Christ-likeness. I don't know how else to say it other than just to say it to you. There's a reality where the Holy Spirit is powerful and salvation is real, but then there's also a moment where you have to look at this text, you got to look at it, and you got to go, hey, this ain't just true in theory, this is true for me. And there's a very real Jesus who has cleansed me. And there's a very real Jesus who has sanctified me. And there's a very real Jesus who has justified me. I know that's theological terminology. Not all of you get it, but here's what that means. What that means is that I was dirty, dead in sin. And even in the midst of my sin, there's a very real God who got, un, who got unclean for me. When Jesus went to the cross, all the effects of sin come against him for you. That's your sin and your sin and your sin. And then all the ripple effects of your sin came into Christ. He was perfect, sinless, spotless. All the effects of sin for all of millennia come against him so that you can be seen as clean. That's what that means to be clean. Secondly, he says we've been sanctified. That means you have been set apart as holy. So as all this sin bashes against Christ as he's on the cross, he takes all that into himself. And because he's the one that takes all of the sin of the world into himself, that means he gets to display and distribute all of his righteousness to whoever he chooses. And that is us, the church. Even when we're not righteous, church, the Father looks at you, looks at me through the lens of Jesus Christ and says, you are clean, you are righteous, you are holy. Paul says, as if that were not enough, you've been justified. That means you've been found not guilty. Picture with me a courtroom. Are you coming in the courtroom, smoking gun in your hand, murderer that you are, and the judge looks at you and says, I'll take the sentencing. You're like, I have the gun literally in my hand. He's like, I understand what you've done, and I'll stand in your place, and I'll take your sentencing. That's justification. So in the midst of our sin, while we stand in the room before him, smoking gun, night, whatever you want to do, in the midst of sexual immorality, while you're watching pornography, while you're giving in to lust, while you're pursuing a relationship in that way, in the midst of it, the father looks at you through the lens of the son and says, not guilty. In the midst of it. Are you tracking with that? There is no greater narrative that could literally ever be established. Only God could have done that in and through Christ Jesus. In the midst of it, he says, that's my son. In the midst of it, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. In the midst of it, he says, you're mine. That's what it means to be justified. And so whenever Paul says, such were some of you, he's saying, hey, stop making excuses. There comes a point where Jesus has to be your internal motivator to start walking away from sin. And I'm not saying, hey, just try really hard and just white knuckle your way to heaven. Don't put some religion on the gospel. What I'm saying is if all you do is even just go to your word because of the way it makes you feel, or if you only go to prayer just because of the way it makes you feel, or if you only go to some accountability partner because of the way they make you feel, that's an external motivation that will not lead you to deeper relationship with Jesus. It actually might further your relationship from Jesus because it's a religious approach to the matters, to beautiful things that God has given you, to point you to Christ. Your internal motivation, church family, has to be Jesus. Like the reason you get in the word is not because the way it makes you feel, it's to see the face of Jesus. The reason you go to prayer is not because it'll make you feel good. That's a byproduct. 
It's a byproduct. You're tracking. I'm not, pastor said, don't pray. That's why. Now you're making excuses like Corinth. Okay, don't put something on me. Don't put something on me, I didn't say. The reason you go to prayer is not initially because of the way it makes you feel. Uh, so you can get to the feet of Jesus. See Jesus. Behold Jesus. Experience the presence of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Why? Because he's the one that has cleansed you. And he's the one that has sanctified you. And he's the one that has chosen to make you not Guilty. Paul ain't coming up in here all religious telling you to earn your salvation. He's saying, no, flee that because you're no longer that. And even if you choose to dabble in it, the Lord says, my identity identity has been imprinted upon you, sealed in Christ forevermore. That's your theology lesson. That wasn't even in my notes. I said something completely different in the first service too, so I don't know how that went. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like really? All right. I don't even know where I'm at. (laughs) To continue using external motivations in hopes that it's going to provoke some internal motivation, listen, it, it might actually be stifling your relationship with Jesus. Only do these things simply for the sake of knowing Christ. Paul says, I forewent, oh, I forewent everything for the sake of knowing Christ. As a matter of fact, I count it all as rubbish, he says elsewhere in the scripture. Count everything out there in the world that brings you affirmation, status, purpose, privilege, whatever it may be, as rubbish for the sake of learning what this means. Just simply knowing Christ. For some of you, your external accountability, and I'm not against accountability partners, clearly, but your external accountability is your greatest stumbling block to your walk with Jesus. Some of you need some good accountability. Some of you have relied too heavily on it. And there's a codependency there that is fueling in you a Messiah complex where you are only turning to become your own judge. And it's not going to go well for you. It's not going to go well for you. Which leads into the third point. We got to learn to be honest with ourselves. You got to learn to be honest with yourself, man. I, showed up to, I did show up at that MC broken, in tears, you know. But that was who I was in that moment. I didn't shove it down deep. I didn't act like those things don't exist in our church body, like we got it all figured out. We're just as jacked up as Corinth, yeah? But I did just get to be honest. And in that moment, just that honesty of my MC, I told him, hey, just, you all gave me two minutes to just be where I'm at, to be broken over the things that I'm broken over. And I want to let you know it's that two minutes, as I told my MC, it's, my, it's that two minutes that keeps pastors like me from suicide, from depression, from addiction, already worsening anxiety is what I, than what I already have. Just modeling being honest. I want to invite you this morning to be honest. Paul's going to ask a couple questions here in the text, and I'm going to ask you a fifth question as we move into communion. And I want you to be honest with where you're at. Now, the text says this. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 through 20 says this. And God raised the Lord. Listen. And will also raise us up by his power. Hope you believe that today. You cannot outsend the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That your body is literally seen as if it were Christ's body himself. It's the doctrine of our union with Christ. Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Shall I unite them? Paul says, never. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? We actually have a great deal of science now that proves this to be true. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord uh, becomes one spirit with him. How should we respond? Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? It's the second time he said this in Corinthians, whom you have from God. Oh, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's not coming in religious, militant, domineering. No, he's saying, do you not understand here that just as someone is united sexually with someone else, so also when you profess faith in Jesus, you're united spiritually with them? Like Paul actually says something from 2,000 years ago that science would now, to use the word, affirm. There's a reality where when you engage in sexual immorality, whether it's digital or physical, there are literally chemicals, hormones, endorphins in your body, pheromones that are released, and you literally become connected to someone. This is why someone who's ridden with pornography, even whenever it's a digital relationship in a variety of women or men, this is why they have attachment issues and they feel isolated and alone. It's because every time they engage in that activity, they literally lose a little bit more of themselves to be able to connect. That's why they create a world around them. It's why they don't do well whenever struggles get hard. It's why they have a false sense of reality around them. They don't, they don't actually connect anymore to reality or to relationships. In the same sense, for those that engage in sexual immorality in a very real and physical way, There's real endorphins, hormones that are released from the body. And so as you have multiple sexual partners, you literally, quite literally, they call them the bonding hormones, bonding chemicals in the body. And they release, and they quite literally release into the air. And neurologically, same as with porn, begin to rewire your mind to seek out that individual. Science here. Here's the deal. Whenever science supports the Bible, we pay close attention, church family, right? They're not in contradiction to one another, man. They They work together in concert with one another. And so Paul says something 2,000 years ago that might have been like, what are you you saying here? And now we can look at it 2,000 years later and go, dang, the Holy Spirit turns out knew a little something about that. Turns out the Holy Spirit kind of knew how the body was designed and wired, yeah? And so Paul has this really wordy way. He asks these four questions. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the member of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? Do you not know that... You know, that, that he was joined with a prostitute becomes one with her? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the very power that spoke creation into existence is the very same power that resides in you to speak new creation into your life? He will, in fact, rise you up out of your mess, right? And such were some of you, he's saying. And so he's just giving a framework for how the gospel has set people free in the church. And we've seen that in our own church. And so he asked these four questions that remind me of this one question of the, that Jesus asked this paralytic. Why don't you stand with me and the team will come back up. Four questions Paul asked that reminds me of one question this morning that I want to ask you. Like, just as your pastor, as your brother, for some of you as your friend, there's a real question I want to ask you. Let me set it up for you. There's a story of a paralytic in the New Testament where uh, Jesus comes upon him. And if we were to read all of John chapter 5, we would read this paralyzed man 
has been at this pagan watering hole, essentially, for 38 years. For 38 years, this man pursued the world instead of pursuing Christ. And he goes to this like pagan pool and hoping that someone will pull him into this pool. That's looking at external motivation. One, he's looking at the world. Two, he's looking at someone that's going to help him get into the pool. Never once looks at Jesus until Jesus shows up. Think about this. John chapter 5. Here's what's happening. It should be on the screen. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been there a long time because he's Jesus, of course, yeah. He said to him, this is so profound, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Think about that. Jesus sees this paralyzed man. He's been there 38 years. He's only been looking to the world. Jesus knows how long he's been there. He knows his story. He knows his predicament. He understands he's a sick man, but he says, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. I want to ask you the same question this morning that Jesus asked this paralyzed man. As men and women who do go to the world to receive an affirming word instead of going to the word itself, let me ask you, do you genuinely want to be healed this morning? When when it talks about like we've been (laughs) cleansed and we've been sanctified and we've been justified all through the work of Christ, like when you hear that, is there something in you that just ignites and goes, man, I want everything that that is. He's not calling you to perfection The word sanctification alone means you will stumble and fail, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will make you look more like Christ. That's the definition of sanctification. He's not asking you to be perfect. There's a a cleansing that has happened, yes, so that he doesn't see you under that framework of sin anymore. Like, do you genuinely want to be healed? Are you okay with just maintaining this victimized mentality where you keep going to external motivators to make you feel some type of way about yourself? That's not going well for you, is it? And so the question remains, do you wish genuinely to be healed? And if so, then I want to invite you to to plea as you come to communion, especially if you're a Christian, to say, God, I have went to all areas of the world to find an affirming word from you, and I have found nothing. God, your word, though, it put on flesh, and he walked in my place as my substitute, died the death. I deserve resurrected to new life. Oh, and he will rise me too. That is the gospel. God, it's hard to believe. Help me believe. I believe, but help my unbelief and make communion remind you of it. Make communion remind you of the truth of the gospel this morning. At the same time, for those of you that just want to wallow in your victim and you just want to keep blaming everyone else, look at me. Today's the day, church family, where you stand toe-to-toe with this Jesus and he's asking you, do you genuinely want to be healed? I don't want to hear about your... I don't think about your past right now. I don't want you to blame everyone else. I don't want you to blame all the external motivators of your life. Look Jesus in the face and answer the question, do you want to be healed? And if so, maybe today is the first day you get to take communion for the first time. Maybe you're still sitting there buying this lie that's like, hey, I don't want to be set apart. Well, Jesus was set apart for you. So in this moment, you can say, yes, heal me. Well, I don't want people to judge me. He was also judged for you. So that in this moment, you go, I don't care about your judgment. Oh, the Lord has set me free today. And then you come and feast. Look, the gospel is sufficient, family. You don't need an affirming word from the world whenever you have a resurrected Jesus calling you home. Run to him this morning. For those of you that are in Christ, oh, this is a meal uh, that is for you. It says this, we read it every week. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given it, 
when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Taking responsibility is what he's doing. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen, if Jesus is willing to stand in your place and take responsibility for your sin, perhaps that's a good enough message today to lead you to take responsibility for your own sin as well. So confess, repent, and then come forward whenever you're ready. This is a meal for the saints.